We're in a series called When You Pray. Um, you saw the video of Turkey. Um, uh, encourage you to think beyond your box. It is, it is increasingly happening in America where we just really think, I got to take care of myself and me and mine. And um, we can get pretty stingy when we start doing that. Can I just share with you too that that's a demonic lie? That's demonic. When you start thinking only of yourself and yours, uh, it, it, it literally, why is it demonic? Because it's opposite of generosity. Generosity says, I want to bless people that I don't even know may never meet, and I want to be a part of doing that. And so everything you give toward Turkey, you can put that on the envelope, Turkey, or give online, just put Turkey. It all goes right to the people in Turkey to help them with food and all the other things that they need. And so uh, we want to encourage you to be a part of that. Um, you know, missions is something that's a big part of our heart, and, and we really want to continue to do that as we reach out to the world. Um, I'm not sure if it's just me, but is it cold in here? Did we put the AC on or what? Well, maybe, maybe they couldn't afford to put the heat on, so you might want to tithe and pay for the heat. <laughs> oh, my. Matthew 6, 5 through 6 says, say, everybody breathe a little bit heavier. Let's warm it up in here, okay? <laughs> oh, we need the fire of the Holy Ghost. Matthew 6, 5 through 6 says, and, and by the way, Kairos retreat was incredible. Uh, I just encourage you to come be a part of that in the future. Once a year we do that. But it says in verse 5, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Last week we really established that there is a wrong way to pray. I think we've, we, we get really lazy in our belief system and we think, well, there's no wrong way to pray. There is. Uh, obviously, Jesus said there, that when you pray in these ways, you get your reward. And he was talking about it here, and he told the disciples, this is how you should pray. But when you pray, say it with me, but when I pray, go into a room, close the door, pray to your Father who's unseen, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you when you pray. Can you do one other thing today? Can you welcome all those that are watching online this morning? Um, there's a bunch joining, yeah. There's a bunch joining us this morning. We want to just welcome them in as they're watching. I want to talk about prayer and a little bit about the theology of prayer and, in, and some practical things of why we pray and why we don't pray. And you say, well, how do you know whether I, why I pray and don't pray? I'm going to presume to know that this morning. But if, if we go to the Gospel of John, uh, John 14, 15, and 16, we see a, a, a conversation most theologians believe Jesus had with the disciples at the Last Supper. And um, John 13, we see Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. And John 17, he's praying at the Garden of Gethsemane. If you put 14, 15, 16, right, it's pretty safe to say he would have been in the upper room uh, with the disciples and Leonardo da Vinci as he was painting them there. Come on. Some of you got to laugh. Even if it's bad, you just need a reason to laugh about something, right? So can you do that? Just put a smile on your face and uh, laugh about something today. But here's, it's interesting because 
In these last words Jesus has with the disciples, he talks a lot about prayer. He talks a lot about the attitude we should have when we pray. And this is what he says in John 14, 13 through 14. He says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Well, what a promise. There's 7,000 promises in the Bible. You see one right here. John 15, 16 says, you do not choose me, but I chose you and you appointed and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. That fruit will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. John 16, 23 to 24 says, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my father will give whatever you ask in my name until now you have not asked anything in my name, but ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. He says, ask in Jesus' name. Uh, this is in our Bible. It's in the New Testament. And, and I want to talk about three things, why we don't pray, and three things, why we do pray. And I'm going to quickly go through the reasons why we don't. I think number one, and this is going to be a quicker message, so uh, um, hang in me. We're going to get through this, and then I'm going to just give you a chance. Pastor Zach's going to give you a chance, really, to just come unto the Lord and say, God, I need your help. Because prayer should be a very real thing in all of our lives. Not because we have to, but because I want to. Do you know you will never do anything you don't desire to do? Sure, you may do it a little while, right? You may do it a little while. Anybody can go on a two-week diet. <laughs> but what are you going to do with three, four years later, right? It, there has to be a desire change. Your desires cause us to respond quite naturally. So here's number one, complacency. We don't pray because we often get complacent. We can get to the point that we just get stuck and sometimes do the fact that we don't believe it impacts anything. Do you know, we can get frustrated and angry with all the laws and judges and everything that gets elected and all those things. But until we realize there are a whole lot of things that went a certain way because the church never prayed. There are a whole lot of things in our life that happened because the church got complaints because people never felt they could pray. I promise you right now, some of you are in the room thinking, come on, pastor, that's getting way overboard. No, actually, I'm understating it. The reason you think it's overboard is because you're that person that doesn't believe prayer changes things. Either never got to the place of even doing it to see, or you've done it and you've had some experience that has shaped your theology on prayer. And so you become complacent. We tend to pray when there are events that directly affect our lives, however. You know, the whole thing with Turkey. I, am I going to pray every day for Turkey? I don't know. It's not really directing my life, affecting my life on the day-to-day -day basis. If, if it was 9-11, do you remember 9-11? Everybody needed a prayer meeting. They're like, the sky is falling! The rapture is occurring! Because when the U.S. goes through something, it affects my life. And so everything in biblical proportion is now happening. Like the, the Lord is coming back because all the things the U.S. is saying, like we don't live in a global world. You know, God is concerned with the entire globe. Okay. Amens are when you say, I agree, right? 
So, so it's good to actually respond. How many know we live in an entire globe and God's concerned with the whole globe? Amen. Amen? Right? So, so we get complacent and we just sit there and we think somebody else will do it. Somebody else will care about it. Someone else will, will respond to it rather than recognizing I'm part of the body of Christ. God's called me to do that, so we get complacent. Number two, unbelief. Still today, we don't believe that our prayers would have any, make any difference. We underestimate the power of our prayers. We do not believe, we do not do, and we don't do what we don't believe. You know I should pray, but you won't pray until you believe you should pray. Right? Because you don't do what you don't believe. You don't do what you know. You do do what you believe. And the third one is discouragement. We get discouraged. I prayed for a long time for something. It never happened. So I don't know that it works. Or if it does work, it doesn't work for me. Like God doesn't. Maybe I've done a lot of bad things in my past or I'm doing bad things right now. So God isn't going to listen to me because of what I'm doing right now. Yeah, you're probably right. Grace isn't sufficient for you. You're probably right. God doesn't love you. God's love is based on your actions and not who you are. You're probably right. You're probably right. He didn't die on the cross for you because you're pretty bad. In fact, he, didn't, he died for some of your sins, but he didn't die for all your sins. You're probably right. Yeah, that's probably right. Do you, do you see how easy it is to fall in such, into the trap of some of Satan's deception? Like God removed the curse in order to create a way for you to come and talk to him. Because he loves you. So why, why, do, why should we pray? And, and the two attributes of God that I'm going to give you could serve in a twofold purpose. Could serve a twofold purpose. Could be why we don't and why we do. But it's part of why we do. And the first one is the sovereignty of God. Most of us have some idea what the word sovereignty means. How we define it can change, but the word sovereignty, you'll see it on the screen, means supremacy. So this is the misunderstanding uh, that we often had. God is going to do whatever he wants to do no matter what. God is going, because God's sovereign, God is going to do whatever he wants to do no matter what. Why should I pray? Because he's just going to do whatever he wants. It, it doesn't really matter. The, the, father, the Father knows what you need before you ask. So for many people, they think the Father knows what we need, so why ask? Why? There's no reason to ask. God already knows what I need, so why ask? Well, Jesus said you need to ask. We just read in John where he said that anything you ask in my name, did he not? Jesus not say we have to ask. So you have not because you ask not. So what could we be asking for that we're not asking for? So the will of God is this thing that we, we look at and we think, well, okay, um, the will of God, if it's the will of God, my sister, um, hopefully she's not listening to this message, but um, my sister is single and, uh, and we were having a discussion and, and I, I'm an instigator with her. I, I still, from the time they were little, I instigated with my sisters all the time. I won't even tell you some of the stuff that I'm the oldest brother, and, and then I have a brother, and then I have three sisters. And, and I used to pick on them all the time, and I still do. I feel it's my older brother duty to do that. And um, she, she, uh, she was talking about 
a guy, I told her that she needs, and she says, if it's God's will, it will just happen. And I said, no, it won't. She's like, it is. And she was almost put off that I would say, God's will doesn't happen a lot of times. Well, you have to understand what will means. For instance, will is your last will and testament. What it will equates to is desire. What is God's desire? His will is what is God's desire. And so, you know, my will and desire, you know, at the end of my life, and they open up my last will and desire, they're going to say, uh, this is who gets his $82.63. Right? That's my will. Whoever gets it, this is my desire. It may happen, it may not happen. Here's, here's the thing. God's will often does not happen on earth. Do you know what it said? It happens in heaven. It doesn't happen on earth. If it did, why would Jesus say, pray, let your will be done on earth? You wouldn't have to pray it if it just was. It's not done on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, his will is not often done because we have lost touch with the reality that we're the ones that really release his will on earth as it is in heaven. We're the ones that pray his desire to occur on earth as it is in heaven. And when the church loses focus and gets deceived, they don't, we don't, the more the church refuses to pray, the less we see God's will and desire done on earth. Look at, even if you don't agree with that statement, listen to this, 2 Peter 3.9. says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What's the will of God? That everyone would be saved. Is everyone saved? No. God's will is not always done. You say, well, if it's God's will, my neighbor will come to Christ. So God, if it's your will, lead my neighbor to Christ. God's will is that your neighbor come to the Lord. He's just having a problem with your big will sitting in the recliner. <laughs> he needs your will to come into alignment with his will to release it on earth. So you get up out of your chair and tell him about Jesus. If it be your will that they be healed, let them. It's always God's will that people are healed. It's always and he will let you know if you should pray another way. But Jesus didn't create sickness and disease. It came from death. It didn't come from the Lord. Is everyone coming to repent? You say, but some people die. Yeah, praise the Lord. Right? If you live, by the way, at the Kairos retreat, I said, you know, there's very, there are a few places on the planet where people are not in a hurry to go to heaven. America is one of them. But if you lived in a country with a nine-by-nine nine room with six children and a bag of rice in the corner that you got to figure out how to supply everything, you're ready for the Lord to come back today. We've created heaven on earth. Just like they wanted to make a tower and do it in their own system, we've created our own things so we don't have to depend on God. We just depend on our own strength, at least we think, until it's all removed. God says, I know the thoughts I have for you, thoughts of good, not of evil. God's thoughts for you are, and I are good. God's thoughts are for every person to come to Christ, but it doesn't always happen. Prayer is not the act of moving God's 
or prayer is an act of moving God's will from heaven to earth. If it be thy will. Um, Jeremiah, well, actually, um, I'm going to give you the passage. Jeremiah 32, 8 through 11. Jeremiah, uh, you can read this at home. Jeremiah is told by God, Jeremiah, I want you to go buy back a plot of land from your cousin. What happened was, Jeremiah's father died, and most theologians believe he passed away. And, Jer- and, and in this text, it, it really kind of identifies that it was probably Jeremiah's uncle who bought the land to give financial means to uh, Jeremiah's mother to raise the kids. Well, Jeremiah's uncle was probably getting close to the point of death, and his cousin says, Jeremiah, you have the right of inheritance, which meant... When my father dies, the land is going to go back to you. But you also have the right of redemption because it was, it's, it was your father's land, which means you can buy it back at any time if you want. And he goes, I want you to buy the land back, which you're like, no, I'll just let your, uncle, your dad die and I'll get it for free. But God had spoke to Jeremiah and said, no, go buy the land back the right of redemption. So Jeremiah goes and buys, because he had the first right of refusal, pretty much, or the right of redemption, right? So he bought it back. Then the text also talks about a sealed and an unsealed deed. And it said that in a sealed deed, the sealed deed was the original owner of the property, which was Jeremiah's dad. The unsealed deed was written every name who would purchase the rights to the property, their name would be written and then crossed out, and the new name would be put in and crossed out, and a new name... But the sealed deed, that property, always belonged to the one who kept the sealed deed, which would have been Jeremiah's father. Are you with me, right? He said, well, why, why does this have anything to do with prayer? It has everything to do with authority. God created the system, and it's talking about the earth, right? And God had two deeds. He had the sealed deed and the open deed. He kept the sealed deed, but he gave the open deed to Adam. Adam gave that deed to Satan. Are you following? Right? But God still had the sealed deed. And you say, well, how do we know that he had it? Well, it was interesting. Later in Revelation, it says, who is worthy to open the sealed deed? And then they could find no one. And then there was a voice that says, oh, don't get weary. There is someone. It's the Lamb of God. He's worthy. The Son. And he, and he, and he was worthy to open the sealed deed. Now, but the right of redemption... God could have just waited until mankind died off. Man left to their own means will kill themselves. Because the, Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. If there were no God on the planet, mankind would, would have, we would have just killed ourselves already. The only reason there's still life in the planet is because of God. Right? Do you believe that? So, so what Jesus said was, I love man. So he exercised not his right of inheritance, his right of redemption. And he came and he purchased it back. And then he gave us back the open deed. So God had it. He gave it to Adam. Adam gave it to Satan. He comes as a son, Jesus Christ, redeems it, takes it back, and then places it back in your hand. So when you pray, you pray in his name 
because you exercise the authority over demonic things on the planet. Does this make sense? Like it's not just an accident. It's just not coincidence. Like it's literally legal in the spiritual world. See, in Kairos is, is interesting. We were talking about this. There is, there's only two kingdoms in the world. And this is what I've discovered is ignorance. I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't mean stupid. Okay? Some people were, were ignorance. What I mean is ignorance, they just don't know. Right? There's so many Christians that don't just, they just don't know that there are only two kingdoms in the world. There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of Satan. There are only two. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And when we come to Christ, we try to take the word of God and the principles of God in the church. Let's just call it the church. And we try to move it to the kingdom of the world. Because we haven't realized that God wasn't redeeming this world. He was redeeming us out of this world and bringing us into the kingdom of God where it's completely different. So everything in the scriptures has to be interpreted through the kingdom of God, not through the lens of the world. That's why we struggle with so many things in the Bible because it doesn't fit the culture of the world and it's just so oppressive, we think. Well, it wasn't created for this world. This world leads to destruction. It was created, it was to bring us into this world and you'll never understand the word of God until you think as in the kingdom of God. He's the king. And I follow what he's saying. Are you with me? And in the kingdom of God, I pray and I talk to the Lord and I have interaction and I have authority. And in the kingdom of God, I am a prince or a princess. I have position. There's authority. And it just so happens our kingdom has already beaten the other kingdom. Praise the Lord. Now, there was the best amen was on that one. Like we all amen winning. The, the reality, God gave Adam the open deed and God kept the sealed deed. And he says, uh, he says, I want you to take dominion over the earth. And we do that through prayer. We are praying to the supreme ruler of the universe who can move heaven and earth on our behalf. Do you believe? Here's the second thing is the immutability of God. The immutability. This is not a term we always use. You know, honey, I think I'm just going to go over there. There's such immutability over there. You know, we, we, we don't, it, what it means is it never changes. Immutability means it never changes. When you say the immutability of God, we say in Malachi 3, 6, it says it, for I am the Lord and I do not change. Now, Satan takes that truth, and he always tells a lie, and he peppers his lies with a little bit of God's truth. But when he says it, it is all a lie because there's a spirit in how he uses it. People who say Satan uses truth. No, Satan can't actually allow truth to come out of his mouth because he's the father of lie. Everything that comes proceeds from the mouth of Satan is a lie. Even when he's using Scripture, he uses it in a spirit that is divisive and a lie. So, this is the confusion that Satan creates. To say that God can't change doesn't mean that God will not change his mind. So, if, if God's just going to do anything he wants to do, why should I pray? What difference will it make? God's just going to do it. And I'll trust God to do whatever he wants to do. I'll live with whatever it is. I can't change. You know, his will's always done. And so... And then we let Satan just have free range of everything and just think, well, it must have been God's will. No, it wasn't. 
It wasn't God's will that millions of people were killed in the Holocaust. That was not his heart and desire. It wasn't God's will that some of the stuff that people were killed in some of these school shootings, that's not God's will. My guess is there are a whole lot of churches that just were going through life. Nobody was praying over schools in that area. Nobody praying over those schools in that area. We need to cover our schools in the blood of Jesus. But then there's this thing that God never changes. But that, the confusion is, is God never changes his mind. It's just not true. Abraham, he, he knew God changed his mind because he came and said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, but Lord, if there be 50. He says, sure, I would do that. I'd change my mind if there were 50, but there aren't. Well, if there be 10, I would change my mind, if there, but there aren't. He said, well, Lord, what about Lot? And you know, he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, but he changed his mind about Lot and his wife and kids. They were going to be dead, but Abraham asked God to change his mind on their behalf. Moses, if you look at Moses in Exodus 32, 14, it says, so the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his disciples. Do you know the word relented means repented? It's mentioned, relented is 108 times. It's mentioned in the Old Testament. 48 times that word is used. It's translated repent. But the reason I believe that it's not in the translation is because we had a real hard time saying God repented. Because our definition of repented is messed up. We think repented means I've made a mistake, I'm sorry, I feel horrible, I should never have done it. When repented actually means, what relented means, it means I changed the way I think. I no longer think like that. Okay, I'll change the way I think about that. That literally when Moses came to God, he said, God, but this, this, change your mind about this. And God said, okay, I'll change my mind about that. Now, does he do it on everything? No, but there are things, yeah, I'll change my mind to that. I can see that because you stood in the gap. Sure, I'll change my mind. What about Jonah? He ran away because he knew God would change his mind, right? He's like, he, he comes there and he says, this is such a crazy story in and of itself for a pastor, right? He doesn't want to go there and preach there. I get that part. Like there's some places you want to go to, you know, they're just, they look at you like, you know, it's just like, ah. Oh. I don't think God's asking me to preach there. All right? But these people had some bad blood with Jonah, and he didn't really like them, so he kind of wanted them to die. But God brings them there, and he repents. And when he's preaching, I mean, you want to talk about hellfire and brimstone. That's what he's saying. You're all going to hell. It's like the, the bullhorn guy at the Timberwolves game. It was that kind of preaching. Like, you're all horrible. You're going to hell. And nothing, and, and, and nobody gets saved outside the t- arena, right? But, but in Nineveh, The people repented, so God repented. The people changed their mind toward God, and God said, because you've repented, I've changed my mind towards you. And then Jonah gets mad. You know how most preachers, they they like Instagram, I had 200 people get saved. Jonah's like, man, I'm so mad. 200 people changed their life. I'm so upset with God right now. You know, it's like kind of like messed up for somebody who's a pastor. (laughs) It's the opposite. He was angry because he didn't want God to change his mind. And yet he did. You look at Jesus. You look at like even... Even Jesus, and you should know that all words from God are submitted to the God of the Word. 
Jesus, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what does he pray? Lord, if there's any way to change your mind, let it be. But if there isn't, I'll walk through it. And you know what God responded? Son, I can't change my mind. If he would never change his mind, Jesus would never have asked. And Jesus responded, not my will, but I'll align my will with your will and desire to release it on earth. You know, it was always God's goal to save us, but he needed someone on earth who is worthy to align their will with his will and release it on earth. Only Jesus could do that because he was the only worthy one to do that. But he had to be in a fleshly body. He had to be on earth to release it to us. Ezekiel, I want you to see this in Ezekiel. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. So I'll pour out my wrath on them and consume them with fiery anger, bringing down their own heads all they, on all they've done, declares the sovereign Lord. You know, what's impressive there is God's like, if one person would have come and made petition, I would have heard their prayer and I would have saved their lives. But I could find no one who would believe that when they prayed, God was listening. There was a woman who um, lived in Lakeville, went to our campus in Richfield many years ago. We only had Richfield at the time. And uh, she came to a new attenders dinner. They were new in our church, came to a new attenders dinner. And um, she was a fireball. Next day, her daughter went to McGuire Middle School in, in Lakeville, where my girls went. And uh, in the middle of the day, her daughter died. She was, had asthma and uh, didn't, couldn't get her thing, and she died. And uh, the ambulance police were there. Mom was called. Her name is Monique, was called. She came down there, and she had been dead for about 35 minutes. Um, and she was one of those fireball mothers. How many are like that? All the husbands are sitting there going, I'm not saying a word because uh, you could say it, but I'd end up toast. She's a fireball. You know what that means, <laughs> right? Anyway, she's a fireball. Like she, she got down there. She says, my daughter isn't dying. She's not dying today. And she said this. She goes, I just need one person to agree with me. Do you believe in God? She kept asking all the cops that were there keeping her away from her daughter. And she says, do you believe in God? Finally found one police officer lady who said, yes, I believe in God. She goes, that, that'll work. I just need someone to agree with me. Just say amen, amen, amen. That's all I need you to do. Her dead daughter came back to life 30 minutes later. She, she was not going to let her daughter die, and she didn't die. I just talked to her this last week. Now, you hear that story. God changed his mind because someone stood in the gap. Some mom you've never heard of before, but she got a hold of something, and she called something that was not into existence because she believed, I hold the deed of life on this planet. Do you? There was a man named 
George Mueller. He had lived a very sinful life for the first 30 years of his life. And uh, he was training to be a pastor while he was living that life. And the reason he was training to be a pastor and living like the devil was because it was a government job and it was a well-paying job and uh, had security. And so he thought, what a great job to have. You know, I'll be a pastor. They'll pay me, even though he didn't believe any of it. Well, at 30, in a small group, he, got, he came to the realization that God existed. Jesus loved him, died on the cross for him, and he gave his life to Christ and radically changed him. And he began to ask God, what do you want me to do with my life? Which, by the way, is an incredible lie. So many Christian parents tell their children, you can be whatever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. It's up to you. Whatever you want to do, you can do. The reality is, that's a lie of the devil. Right? Because you can't be whatever you want to be. You can't do whatever you want to do. God created you. He knitted you together. You will, never, you will never feel fulfilled if you don't know what God created and asked you to do. And you're living in the kingdom of the world trying to be a Christian in this world when in reality, God called you in the kingdom of God and he's your king. And yes, sir, Lord, you created me. I want to be happy in my life. I want to feel fulfilled. I want to know that I'm doing. So what do you want me to do, God? And as parents, we should be helping them discover what God created them for, right? A great example of that is right here. It's like, it would be the similar thing like this. Hi, Mr. Yeti. He goes, hi. We have talking yetis, right? And, and the yeti says, I don't want to be a yeti because, because, because I got that lipstick all over the mouth. Yuck, right? And I don't want that on my head all the time. And I don't want to have people licking on me. And who knows what's in their mouth, right? And then, and then you put on, he says, I'd rather be a furnace because that's what I want to be. Well, Mr. Yeti, you, you know a furnace keeps people warm. Yes, I keep things warm. I have that talent. Yeah, but, but uh, can you keep this big room warm? Well, I'll figure it out. I want to do what I want. And, and, and then it gets mad because no one encourages it. Oh, Yeti, you're such a good furnace, even though you're not furnacing anything. Right? They, but it wants to be affirmed. But, well, Yeti, why are you trying to be a furnace? Because I feel like one. But Yeti, you know that, that no matter how many people affirm that you're a furnace, you won't ever be a furnace because that's not what you're created to be. Right, Yeti? No. I'm a furnace. And I want you to tell, you how, tell me how, and if you don't tell me how good of a furnace, I'm going to be offended by you. Does this sound familiar? Now, I want you to take it from the platform you're thinking as, as what we're facing in our culture, and I want to bring it to your home. When you tell your kid they can be anything they want to be, what if it's not what God created them to be? They're the creator of the Yeti. You know what happens when this Yeti believes the lie? It really does become worthless until it rediscovers its purpose. George Mueller asked the Lord, he goes, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord put a nation in his heart and said, I want you to go into missions. So he goes to his father and says, Dad, I can't go to mission school without money. And his dad said, that is not a, a, a stable job and there's problems. So no, I'm not supporting you. I'm not giving you anything. So he's discouraged. And he, what does George Mueller do? He prays. And the Lord says, go to missionary school. So he does. He has no money. 
He goes to register for missionary school. He's in the line. He's a few people from the desk. And this person walks up next to him and stands right next to him. And he's like, it's pretty awkward when the person stands right next to you. And this isn't a two-person line. It's like a one-person line. And he's like right next to him. He stands right next to him. Doesn't say a word to him. And he, you know how you would be. You'd look at him like, <laughs> right? And he stands right now. But he doesn't move. He just stands there right next to him. And then the person walks away. He's like, that was weird, right? But he gets up to the register and, and he, registrar, and he knows he has no money, so he's trying to figure out how to tell him, I need to be, he's, he's already getting the line in his head, you know, like God told me to come here, and so if I can pay it off over time. And he walks up, and the woman, so he's getting up, and he gets up, and she says, it's going to cost this much after to do all the classes. And so he pretends to go into his pocket to give her money to say, oh, I don't have it with me. But when he reaches in, he, he feels something, and he pulls it out, and he sets it on the table, and when they add it up, it's exactly what he needed to pay the bill. Right? You think that would happen if he didn't pray? No. You say, why doesn't that ever happen to me? Check your prayer life. Check your prayer life. So he goes into school. He gets done with it. He goes before the missions board. <laughs> that send missionaries out around the world. And the missions board says, you live too evil of a life before you got saved, so we're not sending you to the mission field. You're not, it's too risky. And he's like discouraged. And he's like, Lord, so he prays. He says, Lord, I thought you told me to do this. And, and he just prays for about two years. And then the Lord says, now go. Go to that nation. So without talking to anyone, without the Lord just told him to go, he packs up his bags. And some of you are saying, what is this voice of God thing you're talking about that he heard the Lord? Friend, it is real. It's life-giving. When you hear the voice of God, it'll change. It just revolutionizes your whole life, right? But it's real. And God wants to talk to everybody in this room. I don't care how, how old are you, honey? How old are you? 12. Well, you look 16, right? <laughs> right. You're 12 years old. And God wants to talk to you even more than anyone else in this room. And you will hear his voice because he wants to talk to you, right? What's your name? Elena. Father, in the name of Jesus, I lift up Elena right now to you. Lord, I pray that those ears would hear your voice so clearly that it would completely settle some things in her that she's even questioned at a, a young age of 12 and that you would release dreams in her that only like people who've been running in your kingdom for years would have, but she would be having them at 12, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so, so literally... He, he, he gets up and he moves to this country, to the city God called him to. He walks into the only church in that city. And when he walks in there, he goes, I'm a missionary. God called me to this country and city. Um, can I talk to the pastor? And they said, the pastor left last week. We don't have anyone else. You're the new pastor. What? So he, he's now the pastor, right? He walks in and he finds out that, um, that nobody tithes in the church, but they sell seats. And the front seats are the most expensive seats because everybody wanted to sit up front. We all know they're the most holy seats, right? 
So, so hopefully next week you move up. Right? And uh, so they, he said, a done selling seat rights, we're going we're gonna to tithe. They started tithing. When they started tithing, as a church started tithing, they were then able to do a lot of things that they needed to do. But then he had a calling for orphanage. So then he said, now that you're tithing, now let's give offerings. And they opened up an orphanage and then another orphanage and then another orphanage and then another orphanage and then another. They ended up opening more orphanages than any nonprofit or church in the history of the, of the world through that church, right? So he now is 93 and eight months old. And uh, someone's caring for George Mueller because he's 93 years old, even though we have older in the room. And the person caring for him hears him praying every day. And he notices that there's a name he brings up every single day he's praying. So one day he goes, George, who is this person that you bring up every single day? And he said his name. He says, you know what? He was a guy I, I ran with when, when I was an unbeliever. And we both heard the gospel together. But he thought it was stupid. And I received it. And every day since I've invited Christ in my life, I've asked the Lord to save his soul. 63 years and eight months. Shortly after that conversation, George Mueller died. The funeral they have, and uh, George is in a casket. That caretaker is there. And there was a man that he overheard talking to someone else, and he said who he was. He said, my name is, and it was the man George Mueller had been praying for for 63 years and eight months. So he knew who he was service goes on at the end of the service there was an invitation for anyone who wanted to respond to a George Mueller message and I often say that I'm preaching their last message and that man who he had been praying for for 63 years and 8 months without fail because he was a man of faith believing when I pray God answers my prayer that man got up went up to the casket laid his hands on the casket stretched out and invited Jesus into his life. Why? Because God is faithful. God's faithful. If you don't give up on prayer, if you understand it, you pray, because you know when you pray, things are going to shift and change. You won't quit. And you'll see something take place. Will you bow your head? Will you stand and then bow your head? Listen, listen, you're here not just to hear some interesting message. You're here because you believe that there's something in the Word that can, can literally impact your life. I would argue that this is one of those things that would have one of the greatest impact in your life, like more than anything you'd ever know. But you have to say, hey, Lord, one, I need you to change the desire of my heart change the way I think so that I believe when I pray something's going to change he's already given you the authority he's already given you the promise when he said pray in my name and this will happen so right now just close your eyes and just say God here I am 
I, I need a shift in my life. I'm repenting. I'm repenting right now in the name of Jesus. Just tell the Lord that this morning.